0: During my teenage years, I went through many phases, many different efforts of trying to get girls to like me. And uh, I, I just thought I was lacking something, so I tried a variety of different things, but I remember that one of these phases that I went through was a cologne phase. So I was certain that if I could find the right fragrance, girls would like me more. I can only imagine the cloud of scent that would surround me every time I left my house. I tried Polo by Ralph Lauren. I tried Adidas. I tried Boss. I don't know how many of you remember Boss cologne. But my go-to fragrance was Drakkar Noir. And uh, the problem was the expense. The problem for me with all of these was the expense. Drakkar Noir was not cheap, and I was on a very limited allowance from my parents. Now, one day while I was on the street, I think it was, it may have been here in Sao Paulo, but I actually think this was after I was working on, on a mission ship. So it may have been in Asia, but I found a guy selling Dracar Noir on the street. <laughs> yes, on the street. It was very cheap. I was excited. I was like, wow, I have found an incredible supply of Dracar Noir that I can afford. Now, of course, there was a little question mark in my mind as to the origin or maybe even the validity of this cologne. But because the price was so cheap and acceptable, oh, and the guy, the, the salesman, he had an open bottle there that he let me smell. And I was like, that's Dracar Noir, that's it. The packaging looked real. The box looked real, the words were real, you know, and it was shrink-wrapped, all nice. And he gave me some reason, some lie, as to why he was able to sell it so cheaply. And of course, I wanted to believe the lie, so I accepted it. And I was excited, I bought it, and I went home, and... uh When I opened the box, you already know where this is going, of course. You know, the bottles of of lots of cologne have a phrase on it in French, eau de toilette, right? Well, as I translated that to English, it was very accurate for this bottle. Smells like toilet. Um, uh, So, yes, I had been deceived. I wanted to be deceived, but nonetheless, I had been deceived. Well, the contents of that bottle was not Dracar Noir, but everything external made it look real. The writing, the bottle, the packaging, everything. Now, brothers and sisters, the church has an enemy who has thrown all his power into deception. You know this. He's the father of lies. And he works tirelessly to deceive people into a false gospel. It's a gospel that doesn't save, but rather it leads to the destruction of the human soul. Now, this false gospel on the outside looks real. It looks true. It has the packaging. It oftentimes has the appearance of the gospel of Christ, but it's false. In this next section of the book of Acts, Luke is going to show us an example of how the enemy markets his gospel of self, that's what I'm calling it, the gospel of self, in order to lead people away from the true gospel of Christ. And while the gospel of self originates with Satan, he disguises it to look true. So I'll be reading this morning from the next passage in Acts from chapter 8. Now remember, our our context is that there was great persecution that broke out in Jerusalem against the believers when Stephen was, was martyred. And we're now watching that first wave of missionaries that are going out from Jerusalem and they're scattering through all of Judea and Samaria. We've been following Philip. Philip was one of the seven deacons. And he has now traveled into Samaria and he's been preaching there and he's been performing pretty incredible signs and wonders and the response has been remarkable. That's our context. We're going to continue in reading some of Philip's ministry beginning with verse 4 of chapter 8. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Beginning with 9 of chapter 8, verse 9 of chapter 8. Now for some time... A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them when they arrived. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness. And captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. We're going to be spending two weeks on this passage, this Sunday and next Sunday. And what we're going to focus on this week are five contrasts between the gospel of self and the gospel of Christ. The first contrast is this. The gospel of self proclaims self as the answer. The gospel of Christ proclaims Jesus as the answer. This magician, Simon, had held sway in Samaria for quite some time. All the people know of him, and they hold him in awe. And what does he proclaim? What is he announcing? What is he preaching? What is he boasting about? He's boasting about himself. He's teaching that he is someone great. He boasted that he was someone great. Self is the essence and focus of his preaching, of his proclamation. Now, contrast that to what Philip is proclaiming in Samaria. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Now, can can you see why the false gospel of self is attractive to us or to people in general? Because it puts self at the center. But the true gospel of God proclaims Jesus. He is the center, He is the essence, He is the gospel. The second contrast is this. The gospel of self promotes gifts that exalt self. The gospel of Christ promotes gifts that exalt Jesus. Something we have to acknowledge is that the enemy of the church does have at least a limited amount of power. He is able to do some miraculous things. But his power is always used to deceive and oppress. Simon is able to perform miraculous signs through his evil magic arts, and they were impressive. The entire city was aware of his power. But the presence of wonder-working power does not mean that the power wielded is God's power. That's a quote by Ajith Fernando. I'm going to read it one more time. The presence of wonder-working power does not mean that the power wielded is God's power. And so what did these gifts do? This power that Simon had, how did he use it? Again, to exalt himself, to gain notoriety, to gain a following, to show off, and to make people dependent on him. He gloried in the fact that people called him, what's the phrase? The divine power known as the great power. Self, self, self. Now again, let's contrast this to Philip's ministry. Because Philip is also performing amazing signs and wonders. He has astonished all the Samaritans. But what is the result? The result of Peter's sorry of Philip's signs and wonders is not growing a following of Philip, right? People are coming to Jesus. They see the signs and wonders which point to Christ and they are becoming His disciples. They are repenting of sin. they are believing and they are being baptized. So there's that contrast, the signs and wonders are the gifts that Philip is using, is acting upon and through. Those gifts are leading people to Jesus, whereas the miracles that Simon has performed are pointing people only back to him. This brings us to the third contrast. The gospel of self offers a life controlled by self. No surprise there. The gospel of Christ proposes a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. So again, what's the contrast? Life controlled by self, life controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's quite interesting that Luke writes that Simon believed and was baptized. Right? He says that clearly. But, Almost immediately, it becomes clear that his belief was not a saving belief. It was not a saving faith. And what we have here in Simon are outward signs of conversion. He, at least outwardly, looked like a Christian, whatever that means. He must have claimed to believe in Jesus. I mean, the text, Luke writes that he believed. And he was willing to be baptized. But these outward signs had not touched his heart and his soul. They were external only. So the, the throne of Simon's heart, the, the sovereign of his soul, is still self. And this is one of the greatest lies that the enemy uses against humanity. He doesn't state it this clearly. It's more subtle. But the lie is this. You can be saved. You can be a Christian. You can believe in Jesus without dying to self. In other words, the gospel of Christ is something that does not require transformation. It's something that you can participate in only externally. And it doesn't have to change the authority of your life. It doesn't have to change your attitude towards sin. It doesn't have to transform you from the inside out. And so Luke immediately contrasts Simon's outward actions with the inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So in the context of the narrative, Simon believes and he's baptized. Then Luke lets us know that these Samaritan believers had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to be talking about this a lot more next week because this passage has raised a lot of conflict within the church really for for thousands of years questioning about the timing of the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer. But we'll talk about that next week. I don't want to get into it this week. Right now, what I want us to see, though, is that the truest sign of true belief is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And in this context, we don't know what it was. The text doesn't tell us. I think that was intentional. But there was some external visible sign of the infilling of the Spirit. Um, That's how when they arrived it was clear they hadn't received the Spirit and then when Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit everyone could tell a difference. That's why Simon wanted that power. Now again, we don't know what that sign was and I don't think it does us a lot of good to speculate but in this particular instance there was some kind of visual recognizable sign that the Holy Spirit had come into these believers. So, Simon sees that sign. And he completely misses the point. Because what he wants is to be able to be the one to bring about that sign. He does not realize that he's the one who needs the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? Do we see that, that, that difference? And so, Simon has an outward belief that only affects his ex- him externally. And then there's the belief of the tr- that comes about from the reception of the true gospel of Christ that surrenders oneself to God, that opens the door of our flesh for his spirit to come in and live in us. Simon did not have the Holy Spirit, and he didn't want the Holy Spirit. He wasn't interested in receiving the Spirit into himself. He just wanted to be able to be the man, to have the power to be impressive in laying his hands on others so that they would receive that gift. Brothers and sisters, faith that saves, belief that is genuine, will depose self from the throne. We will be surrendered to the life of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit who indwells, who actually lives in the body of a believer, in the soul of a believer. The gospel is not about pursuing our dreams. And the gospel is not, this is a catchphrase that we hear a lot in the world these days, right? The gospel is not about being true to yourself. That's self on the throne. That's a false gospel. We do not, we are not called to pursue our dreams. We surrender to the Holy Spirit who lives the dreams of God for us, in us. So the question we have to ask is self still on the throne? Or has the Holy Spirit deposed self? Has self been put to death? so that we are surrendered to and under the authority of and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Just this morning, I was praying and reading Scripture, having my quiet time. And uh, I was thinking about this passage that I was going to be preaching on this morning. And as I was praying and I was asking God for certain things to change in me. I wanted to see some attitudes and and patterns in my life change. And what I realized, what, what I believe God showed me, is that I always imagine God acting externally to me. And I forget that He has placed His Holy Spirit in me. Now, please hear me. I am <laughs> not saying that we pray to ourselves. I'm not saying we got to look inside and find our true selves. No, that is not what I'm saying. We pray to the Lord God Almighty. But He has placed His Spirit in us so that He changes us internally, inside. He is living in us in the life of a believer. And that is radical and transformational. I don't know of any other religion, any other faith system that teaches that the Almighty will make his home by his spirit in the heart, soul, and body of his children, of his creation. And so I, I just want to remind those of you who are believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you and that becomes the source of transformation. It's, our, our faith is not only external. It's not just about the outward signs. It's not pursuing our dream. It's not being, about being true to ourselves. It is about surrender to the life of the Holy Spirit within us. And his transformation that ultimately brings about perfection in the life to come. In the true gospel, God, through his Spirit, is on the throne, and self is deposed, put to death, and buried. The fourth fourth contrast is that the power offered in the gospel of self is power to impress people. Whereas the power given in the gospel of Jesus is the power to know God. The false gospel of the enemy projects power. But it is for the purpose of impressing people So once again, self is exalted. Simon wants the power that the apostles have to give people the gift of the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, he doesn't want the Holy Spirit in him. He's not seeking the life of the Spirit within. He just wants the power to control the Spirit for the purpose of impressing people, for building his following, for building his impressiveness to the people of of Samaria. And how foolish this is. He's become enamored of the power of God. But he has missed the greatest gift God offers. The power to know him and to be in relationship with him. God is Father. And those who truly believe in his Son, Jesus, are adopted as his sons and daughters. And those are words of relationship. All those are words of relationship. God, father, daughter, son, brother, sister. And so while God's power is great, His power is not just to cater to our whims and our desires, His power is to work in us to know Him, to be in a relationship with Him. Now, we might become enamored of God's power or something about God, his help, his comfort, his provision, and miss what he is offering us is the infinite transformative power of his presence mediated to us through the Holy Spirit in relationship. Maybe a way we can think about it is this. Let's say that I have a life-threatening condition and I desperately need surgery. But as I'm preparing for surgery, The the surgeon who's going to be performing this life-saving surgery on me, he invites me to come watch him perform this surgery on someone else. So I scrub up, and I'm in the gown and everything, and I'm in the operating theater, and I'm watching, and it's so impressive. It is absolutely incredible to watch this surgeon save this person's life through the surgery. And so when the surgery is over, I go to the surgeon and I say, look, I don't, I don't care about the surgery anymore. I don't want the surgery for me. I don't want to have to go through that. I don't want to be cut open. I don't want to be put under. I don't want not all that stuff. But teach me to do the surgery on other people. Because that would be really cool. And I want to be known as the guy who can save other people's lives through the surgery. How foolish, right? I mean, my greatest need is to undergo the surgery myself to be saved so that my life can be spared. And this is what Simon has done. He is totally missing the fact that he is unregenerate, that he is heading toward hell, that he is not redeemed, that he does not know God, and his greatest need is for repentance and salvation. But he totally misses it. He doesn't recognize that he needs the Spirit in him. Instead, he just wants the power to impress others. God's power is, in salvation is not given to us so we can impress people. It's given to transform us in relationship with Him so that we may know Him. And this brings us to the fifth and final contrast. And it has to do with the fruit of these two gospels. The fruit of the gospel of self is bitterness and sin. The fruit of the gospel of Christ is reconciliation and unity or repentance and unity. One of the primary ways that we can recognize the difference between the false gospel of the enemy and the true gospel of God is by what they produce. In Simon's behavior, we see the result of of his deception of his adherence to the gospel of self. And Peter states it very clearly that, Simon, you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So even though he had these outward signs, outward sign of belief, he had gone through baptism, Peter says, you are full of bitterness and you are captive to sin. When Simon offers Peter and John money in exchange for the power to lay hands on people and fill them with the Holy Spirit, Peter rebukes him harshly. Incidentally, this is a side note that may not be that interesting to you, but it's interesting to me. There's a word in the English vocabulary that has come out of this passage in Scripture. And the word is simony, simony, the name of Simon plus a Y on the end, simony. And what that word means is the attempt to gain religious position through money. So Simon, his legacy lives on in a negative sense, at least in the English language. And it comes from this passage, attempting to gain religious power or religious position in the church through money. It's clear that Peter sees Simon as unregenerate, meaning that Peter sees that Simon is not saved. He's not a true believer. And Peter says to him, because you have tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money, you have no part in this ministry. Ministry is the way the NIV has interpreted the the word there. The word in Greek is logos. You have no part in this logos. Logos. Do we remember that word Logos? Where else we know that from Scripture in John chapter 1? The word, the Logos, became flesh and lived for a while among us. So Peter is saying to Simon, you have no part in Jesus. You have no part in Jesus. In other words, you may have outward signs, but you are not a believer. You are not saved. You are not redeemed. And he says... Simon, you are full of bitterness and you are captive to sin. Bitterness is one of the strongest forces that drives people away from God and away from brothers and sisters in Christ. When a bitter root is allowed to grow up in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, all it does is wreak havoc and cause division. And that's the fruit of the false gospel. If self is on the throne, then the fruit is going to be bitterness and bondage to sin. So Peter says to Simon, Simon, repent and pray so that you will receive the forgiveness of God. Now, contrast those fruits. So on one hand, bitterness and captivity to sin. What are the fruits of the true gospel? A spirit, an attitude of repentance, and forgiveness, a receiving of forgiveness. Freedom from the power of sin. But once again, we see that Simon is not a true child of God because Simon doesn't do either of those things. He doesn't repent. There's no place here in the text that says Simon repents. And he doesn't even pray, does he? He says. Peter, you, you pray for me. <laughs> you pray on my behalf. And, and we see through this that Simon does not have a relationship with God. He is not a son of God. And because there's no relationship, he has to ask Peter to pray on his behalf. It kind of reminds me in a way of those, you know, late elementary school um, dating relationships where uh you know, one eight-year-old likes a, a, a one eight-year-old boy likes a eight-year-old girl. He doesn't really know her, right? And he's terrified of talking to her, and he doesn't really want to spend time with her. But he has a crush on her, and he likes her. So what does he do? He sends an emissary to talk to her. You know, his little eight-year-old buddy's like, "Hey, go ask her, or take this note to her, or ask her if she likes me." You know, and um, but I don't want to talk to her face to face. You you go do it for me because I'm nervous. Maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe you've been a perpetrator. Maybe you've been a messenger. Uh, but regardless, I've been all three. So, um, But this is, in a sense, why does, that, why does that eight-year-old boy, why is he hesitant to go talk to that girl? Well, there may be a, a variety of reasons, but the bottom line is because there is no relationship. And they don't have a relationship. They don't really know each other that well. And they're not old enough to have any kind of meaningful love interest. Now, with Simon, we see the same thing. He will not go to God personally because there is no relationship there. He is unregenerate. He is not a son of God. He is not a true believer. Self is still his God. Self sits on his throne. The Holy Spirit has not taken control. But for those who are truly children of the almighty God of the universe, they may come before him personally. Because he is their father. And they are his daughters and his sons. So as we bring this to a close this morning, there are are two ways that I want each of us to think about the gospel of self and the gospel of Christ. The first way I want us to think about it is as a believer. I'm assuming that most of you who are watching this live stream would claim to be a daughter or a son of God. You claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So I want to address you as a believer. Are there ways that the gospel of self has deceived you? is self still at the center of your life and your being or is the Holy Spirit on the throne? Do you seek the power of God simply to satisfy your needs or do you seek the Father himself and the power that he gives to be his daughter or his son and the relationship into which he invites you? Now, the second way that I want to address you is as witnesses to the gospel. So the first was as believers, but now this is as witnesses. We've seen this theme all through Acts, that we are witnesses. We are Christ's ambassadors, and we are to be sharing consistently his message, his gospel. Have you ever considered, though, that it's a lot easier to share the gospel of self than the gospel of Christ? The gospel of self presents a God who exists to meet my needs and to provide for what I want. And I can accept this gospel without changing anything in my life. I can claim to be a Christian. I can go to church, I can even be baptized, I just need to say the right words, I can claim to believe, and I may even have an intellectual assent to this belief. That's an easy gospel. The gospel of self is an easy one to present, and it's an easy one to accept because it doesn't involve transformation. I'm going to go one step beyond that. The true gospel of Christ, on the other hand, presents a God who is love but who is also holy. So to accept his gospel requires that I recognize and admit that I am a sinner and that I repent of that sin. And through repentance... It requires full submission to the life of the Holy Spirit in us, and self has no place. I think for many of us, when we, are, when we witness, when we talk about Jesus with others, we don't talk about sin very much, and I understand why that is. Maybe, maybe we're afraid that, that talking about sin will actually push people away from the gospel, and, and our desire, of course, is to draw people in. But see, if we leave out, if we leave out the sin part, if we leave out the call to repentance, if we leave out the need for repentance, then what we're actually offering people is the gospel of self and not the gospel of Christ. I'm sure that any of you Many of you who have a bank account here in Brazil are very familiar with how generous uh, banks can be. They're so generous. They're always offering you money, constantly. My bank offers me money almost every day. You know, hey, look, there's this loan you could take. And hey, look, there's this line of credit that's open to you. And hey, we'll buy a house for you. And hey, we'll buy a car for you. And when they present these these things, I mean, it's so easy to forget that there's a very high price to be paid for accepting what they give. And this is kind of a way we can think about how we present the gospel. If we present the gospel of self, then we present just the money the bank wants to give you. And we don't present all the little type. We don't show all the parcelas that are going to have to be paid. And we definitely don't add all those parcelas up so that we can see the total amount that we're going to be paying back, which is sometimes over twice the amount that the bank so generously gave us in the first place. All of us have been part of this. Many of us have fallen prey to this in desperation. I understand that. I have myself. But when we share the true gospel of Christ, we give the whole picture Yes, the love and the power and the joy of God. But why do we need that? Because we are broken irreparably through sin and bitterness. And it is only through repentance, a conviction of sin, a repentance of sin, and subsequent, or maybe at the same time, belief in, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us and a surrender of our lives to his authority through his spirit, that we are saved and that we become true daughters and sons of God.